Hi, this is Jeff Davis. I spent many years just down the road playing rock and roll along the lakefront in Chicago at WLS Music Radio. This year's a banner year for Radio Centennials. That's why I'm happy to wish my brothers and sisters in radio a heartfelt 100th anniversary at 1440 WROK in Rockford, Illinois. Sometimes people just need a really good reason to get back together and enjoy each other. This is one of those occasions. Getting behind the microphone again and sharing those seldom told tales is a special feeling these folks didn't want to pass up. The studio is filled with decades of photos, bumper stickers, buttons, albums, t-shirts, jackets, original signs, and well-deserved industry awards. Here's to WROK's 100 years of broadcasting in Northern Illinois and Southern Wisconsin. And now, more radio stories between old friends on another episode of the Storyteller Studio. Good morning. We're back in the Storyteller Studio, and this time, a fellow that I have not seen since 1985, Bill Shannon. And you haven't aged more than 30 years. (laughs) Funny how that works, isn't it? (laughs) Everything drops a little lower, except Uh, my voice, but yours, holy cow, you've got the pipes, dude. Well, it's early. You know, it kind of goes squeaky by the end of the day. Does it really? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm you, a, you do Disney characters by three in the afternoon? Yeah, I sound like uh, helium <laughs> balloons, uh, you know, deflating at the, <laughs> by the end of the day. No, no, no. I, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Good to have you here. It's yeah. nice that you're back in the area again. Yeah, we came back because we had uh, some family matters that we had to deal with uh, we, uh, involving uh, elderly parents oh, yeah. and, and yeah. illness, which, you know, that time of life. Yeah. And so we decided, uh, my wife and I, that it would be time to come back home and uh, tend to our folks, which we did. Yeah, good for you. Hey, let's do some housekeeping. When did you work at WROK and who hired you? I never worked a day there in my life. <laughs> it was too much fun. To hey, be when a- did they give you the key? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I interviewed in February of 84 and started uh, March 8th. It's amazing how many people can do that. Yeah. It well, really it, was a, it was a very, uh, very important date, you know. Mm-hmm. And who hired you? Uh, Tom Gray. Did he? Yes. You can I, blame him. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I spent more than a New York minute with Tom Gray. You know how people come and go. Sure, and, sure. You know, and you can't quite get the whole schedule of exactly when it was, and it was sort of fuzzy, you know. But Tom Gray is just a blip. I know him only because so many people right. tell so many different stories. As I recall, he replaced Charlie Quinn as ops. Okay, so then he would have been he, before Kipper McGee? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, Kipper replaced Tom Okay. in late 84 when Tom went to Minneapolis, where I would later end up working with Tom. But uh, let me give you the backstory. I first, of course, I knew of Tom because he had been working uh, uh, music director and weekends at WLS in the early 80s. In fact, he was... Uh, in Chicago, pretty much the, through most of the 70s. So I, I'd hear him on the air because, you know, Milwaukee is where I grew up and it's it's a local frequency. So LS and CFL and all those stations oh, sure. from back in the day, they were locals for me. So boy, I, I had radio that I just, uh, you know, couldn't consume enough of. Right. I remember Tom from, uh, from LS, of course, in RCK. And I was working at ZUU at the time. I was the acting PD because our PD, Buddy Scott, Oh, there's who, a name. Who left ZUU to go program B96 in Chicago. <laughs> he did. Oh, oh, it's a tangled web we are weaving. Yes. Anyway, uh, I was acting PD until they you know, could find a new operations manager. And Tom came up from Chicago to interview. Hmm. And I was outside my office. And John Chaffee, our group program director for Melwright, who owned the station at the time, introduced me to Tom. He goes, Tom Gray. I said, yeah, I know you. And he looked at me like, what, you do? I said, yeah, of course. I listened to your weekends on LS. And I started giving him the litany of some of the places he had been and where I had heard him. And 
And, and oh, so wow. we struck up a conversation, and and he didn't get the job, but he ended up getting the job here. Yeah. So we struck uh, struck up a friendship and kept in touch because you know how radio is. Oh yeah. It's not what you know. It's not who you know. It's what you know about who you know. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and being a radio stalker has never been a bad thing for people to know well, all these things about people. Except for except for those who are being stalked. Well, <laughs> yes. right. Yes. When they look at you, go, I can't remember you. It's like, well, you remember that night at Maggie's Pub? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Let me refresh your yeah, memory. You, you got to be really careful with those uh, radio stalkers because because they collect lots of evidence. They do, and they're <laughs> called air checks. <laughs> yes, and I think I handed you some. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh, thank you for your contributions. My pleasure. Bill brought in two CDs of several air checks with Riley O'Neill mm. and Lee Carrick, and of course Bill's air checks from '84 and '85. Yeah. And also a picture which I did not have. Thank you very much, Kelly Ryan. I did not have a picture of you in the studio. Yeah, in fact, I, I was mentioning uh, off the air, as it were. Uh, that was the only picture that that we even know of of me in the studio. Wow. Kelly Ryan took the shot at one time. Nice. She posted it on the ROK ZOK, you know, alumni page several years ago. I saw that and said, "Wow, I got to grab that." Mm -hmm. So I grabbed it and wow. you know put it on my computer, and it's been sitting there ever since. And I found it as, as I was going through some things, and I said. I gotta bring that with. So, when you were at WROK, what was the lineup? Uh, when I first got there, mm -hmm. I started uh, ten to midnight. Okay. I gotta go back to Tom, kind of put in perspective how we all arrived there. I told you I met Tom when I worked with him when he came to uh, apply for the job at ZUU. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, he goes back to Chicago, but Charlie leaves ROK ZOK to go to Philly, I believe, and Tom ends up being the operations manager at ROK ZOK. There comes an opening for PD at ZOK. Mm -hmm. I came down to do the interview for ZOK. <laughs> Tim Fox had left for K-Peak in Denver. Oh, that is so weird. Yeah. So, you know, I had stayed in touch with Tom, and he, he invited me down for the interview. I did so. Didn't happen. Jeff Davis got the job. Mm -hmm. Okay. A couple months later at WMGF, where I was doing afternoon drives, I'm cut out of the budget. Funny story about how I was fired. The PD there, his name was Jim Scollin, came from Detroit. Okay. Uh, I was doing, a, it was kind of a weird shift anyway, four to eight afternoons. Hmm, that and, is And weird. I would work Monday through Saturday, four to eight. But anyway, they needed to remove me to make room for him because he was going to be an on-air PD. What was the format? It was uh, AC. Okay. All right. Is he okay? No, 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 no. no, no. no. W, WMGF in Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Yeah. I'm trying to keep it all straight. Well, I'm, I'm, tell <laughs> ding, 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 ding. I'm yeah. telling you how I got fired. Okay. This is, this, this, this is radio. We get fired. I know. A lot. <laughs> and it's not straightforward. No, it's you know, never straightforward. You know that last show you did? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was the last that show you did. That was the last did. show you did, yeah. yeah. And you didn't even say yeah. goodbye. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Okay, it's Saturday afternoon. I'm on the air. I'm the only person in the building. It's the weekend. Nobody's there. Oh. In comes Jim. Hey, Bill, when you get off the air, I need to see you. Okay, we know that line. Yes. So, <laughs> this is funny. Uh, I get off the air at 8 o'clock. I go into his office. I sit down. And I don't think he had ever fired anybody before. Oh, he had that look in his face? He was face. like, ah, bah, bah, bah. He, could, he <laughs> didn't know what to do. Oh, no. So, I walked him through it. <gasps> Kid you not. I said, Jim, do you, need, do you need to fire me? He nods his head. And I said, okay, do you have a severance check for me? Yeah, he hands me the check. I say, okay, can I use your phone? Sure, you can use the phone. So I go down the hall, grab, a, grab an outside line, call Tom Gray to let him know what happened. He says, we'll make room for you. 
come on down here. You can work at ROK. Within wow. minutes. Within minutes. That's how fast it happened. It pays, pays to have a relationship with somebody yeah. who is following your career sure. and can champion your career. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I am very grateful for, for that. And honestly, you and I both experienced that to this day. Because I talked to Chuck Doyle yesterday. Mm -hmm. You talked to Shotgun Mark Rivers, Absol Mike Lamb yeah. yesterday. Yeah, I've known Mike for a long time. And then Mike ends up texting me. He goes, do you have a minute? Because I just talked to Bill Shannon for two hours. Well, you know, anytime you pick up the phone with Mike Lamb, it's never a minute. No, uh, you, yeah. you don't have to convince me after yesterday. Yeah, and there's a time change. This is part of the reason that we're doing this is not only for WROK's 100th, but it is the most cheapest, lamest excuse for getting back together with people Absolutely. again. And, and talking, which is exactly what we like to do is reminisce. Sure, but the thing is, in the time that we spent at ROK and ZOK and other places that we've worked, mm -hmm. We've made friends and lifetime friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, I worked for Kipper McGee three times in my career. Have you really? Yeah. Well, you know, you get him drunk enough, he'll hire you. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, Kipper and I have been, you know, dear friends for a long time. Wow. Uh, I worked with him here. I worked with him in Milwaukee at MIL and OKY. You know, I worked with him in Des Moines at KIOA. It's a small world, and we all kind of came up in this business about the same time. Yeah. So the people that all work together in the Midwest here, you know, Foxy and Jim Schaefer and me and you and Kipper and Shotgun, we all know each other. When we started this thing, we ended up going down a list just right off the top of our head. We weren't referencing anything, and we had to go to the second sheet, and then we had to go to the third sheet. Yeah. It's like, are you kidding me? Because we did not limit it to just on-air people. It was staff, a, yeah. office staff, yeah, and absolutely. engineers, people yeah. that were running traffic up front, uh, John Nolte. Yeah. I mean, owners, yeah, every, exactly. all those people are on oh, the Oh, I mean, Vern, Vern and John both, just incredible owners. Yeah. You they, know, I, I knew this was going to be a great place to work because the minute I walked in the building, I heard laughter. You know, when you walk into a building and you hear laughter, people telling jokes, they're having a good time, they're throwing spitballs at each other. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's going to be a great place to work because it's going to be fun. Fun. Yeah. And I did not get into radio to not have fun. Yeah. It was a beehive. Exactly. And it, it, not because we had, a, uh, not only because we had a great news department, which obviously there's all kinds of things going on in the news department. It was a beehive because of continuity, because of the sales department, because of AM separately, because of FM separately. Everybody had their own thing going on. And then when you put it together in the break room, oh, all hell broke loose and heavens. they called it a wine suck. Yeah. Uh, we had, there, I have a wine suck story. <laughs> And it involves Doug McDuff. Oh, feel oh free. And, oh no, and, and no, he did not get drunk. You did. Mm. Uh, no, I did not get drunk. Mm. Was there any ass-grabbing involved? <laughs> uh, no, mine was perfectly protected. <laughs> okay, was it really? I never um, had that luxury. <laughs> no, uh, of course, I, I'm, st I'm still working nights, right? Okay. Okay, 10, 10 to midnight. And the okay. wine suck uh, occurs uh, roughly after 5 o'clock, like 5.01.30. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, you know, the wine suck proceeds, and everybody's having a good time. And uh, I ended up in Mr. Nolte's office just chatting with him, you know, mm -hmm. just talking about stuff. I mentioned to him uh, that I, you know, understand uh, how he became who he became based on his, his invention, mm -hmm. which, as you probably well know, was the stop cue on a cart deck. Mm -hmm. He created that, mm -hmm. made a fortune, bought radio stations here in Evansville. So we had a nice conversation, and he was welcoming me. And, you know, as a matter of fact, he said, you know, Bill, I'm, I'm kind of glad you're here. I said, well, that's good to know. He says, I, I, he says, I want you to know one thing. I said, what's that? He said, I just want you to be yourself and have fun. Oh. 
And I thought, wow. Yeah. The owner telling me just to be myself and have a good time. He gave everybody plenty of leash. Well, absolutely. He did. Yeah, and was, I don't care if you were in the engineering department. Whatever you guys need to do to make yeah. it happen. It just floored me. I thought, wow, that's incredible. I am so lucky to be working for somebody like that. Yeah. He was the kind of guy that let you go until a fire broke out. Oh, then he pulled you in. Well, well, you call Fred Spear to cover it first. Yeah. <laughs> and then you report as to how do we fix it and how do we sure, adjust. Sure. Not cancel it, but how do we adjust it let's, and keep going? Let's, let's do, a, let's do a, a valve check on this, yes. see what happened, what was the cause, mm-hmm. pick a solution, work the solution. That's it. And yeah. I hear that from the news department. I hear it from people in the sales department, mm-hmm. everybody across the board. So he didn't favor necessarily one department over oh, no, another. Oh, no, 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 no. He was, he was yeah. team all the way. He understood completely how everything interdepartmentally worked. Not all of them do. No, no. no. I've worked. For, I've worked for some GMs that. <laughs> well, we don't want to go there. We don't have. We don't have that much time. No. It'll be another two hours, and we'll have to bring Shotgun in, and we'll be here till midnight. Yes. By the way, do you know that Shotgun Mark Rivers or Mike Lamb? Mm-hmm. Uh, not only am I on uh, Sky Seven down there in Phoenix with him, and I think I'm going on about four and a half years now. Yeah. But when Liz and I talked about doing not only this with audio history recording, he said, without hesitation, I will put that on my account. We will get this on a podcast platform so everybody can enjoy it. He also did the same thing with Liz and I with our Life's 3x5's podcast and our website. So he really helps like an octopus. Well, He's got his hands that's, out. That's the shotgun we know and, and love, and I'll tell you why. And you told me the story, and he told me the story. Oh. Auburn High School. Was the story the same? Pretty much. Okay, good. Yeah, with, a, with, <laughs> with, with a few, you know, a few elaborations. Okay. But, uh, no, I mean, he uh, pretty much helped you set up your studio. For the high school. Yeah. Yeah. And Vern Nolte donated They some, donated the equipment. Yeah, he donated some production equipment that was upstairs in the garage. Just sitting there collecting dust. That's yeah. it. So two weeks later, he was teaching us how to run it. The rest is history. Hands I on. Mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, now that you've talked through the time great thing. Well, we got to finish the wine suck story. Okay. Because I'm just having a conversation with, with Mr. Nolte. Because I don't, I don't yes. think I've gotten to the lineup it's, yet. It's, it, well, we'll get there. <laughs> okay. We'll get there. We, right. this, this may go two hours. That's okay. There's a lot to talk about. Plenty of time. I've, okay. I've held it all in for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't let me speak, I shall blow up. First, yep. <laughs> you will be picking up pieces of me. All that will be left is a pair of shoes and, a, and some flaming blue jeans sitting on the floor. So I had a nice conversation with uh, Mr. Nolte, mm-hmm. and he will always be Mr. Nolte. I would never, ever call him by his first name. Mm-hmm. Respect all the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the conversation, went back to the wine suck. Uneventful for me. Went on the air 10 o'clock, did my show, did my production, went home. McDuff comes up to me Monday when I come in. Comes up to me and says, Bill, yeah. And he has this really serious look on his face. What did you say to Mr. Nolte? What did you do? Not what did you say about me. No, no. What oh, did you What did oh, you do? What okay. did you do? He's had this this very pained look on his face, like you may have stepped in it. What did you do? I'm going. What are you talking about? Yeah. He said, "Oh, he's really pissed," and I'm going, "Oh, jeez, what the hell?" So I'm sweating. I'm sweating bullets. Later that day, he comes up to me and goes, ah, "I was just kidding." <laughs> oh. I looked at him. I looked at him. I said, "You, you dirty." <laughs> yes. And I and I and I knew at that point I wasn't the first one that he got. No. He'd probably done that to somebody else before. That's, but he left you hang for like oh, he, two hours. Oh yeah. yeah oh, he, was just, he was just having fun. He was indoctrinating the new guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Doug. Every, and then and then everybody has to do it. Oh sure. Yeah. One way or the yeah, other. Gullible me. I fell for it. Hook, line, sinker. Yeah. You know. 
you give people a wire that won't work. Sure. And they sweat bullets, and then oh, you yeah. give them the good one that you know that oh, doesn't yeah. have the orange tape around I used it. To, I used to, there was a guy that used to follow me in Toledo. His name is Cliff Smithers, and uh, pull his music and his carts and his spots and all that stuff like we did back in the, you know, board op days, right? Yeah. The first jingle out of the out of the top of the hour would be the personality jingle. You know, Cliff Smithers, WRQN, boom, right. So before he hit it, I kind of distracted him, and I pulled the cart out of the machine just enough so that the pinch roller wouldn't grab it and play it. <laughs> and he's hitting a bar and hitting a button and hitting a button, and nothing is happening. <laughs> and I go up to behind him, and I go, here. And I put it in, and he hits it, and he goes, you, you. <laughs> and that's the way he started to show. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. It was funny. It was funny. He loved it, though. You know. But Cliff Smithers used that as an on-air name? That's his real name. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's like the Smothers Brothers. It's no, the Smithers no, Brothers. No, no, no. Sort of. No, not Tom or Dickie, just wow. Cliff. Wow. All right, so who was the lineup when you were there? Okay. So I have a, a reference I'm trying. Let me, let me think back in the recesses of the brain. Mornings, Bill Phillips. Middays would have been Kelly. Doug was doing afternoons at that point. Mm. Uh, Lee Carrick till 10. Yeah. And then me from 10 to midnight. And overnights, I believe, was Bobby B. Sauter. And that's all I remember. <laughs> I plead the fifth. Well, thanks for stopping by, Bill. <laughs> it, it's been fun. No, I'm kidding. Um, and let's see, on the weekends, I don't remember who we had on the weekends. Because I worked uh, Saturday nights. I, I did the cruise on Saturday nights. Yeah. I think everybody did a, a short weekend shift. I'm not sure. I'm not when sure. When you were full time, yes, they yeah, did. Yeah. Maybe three hours, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I did the six for the for the cruise. And the way I ended up working with you, which I didn't really see much of you when you think about it, when Bobby B. Soder left, I was able to start my second tour. I came back from Charleston, West Virginia, mm-hmm. and did overnights because right. that was what was open. Yep, I remember. And then when Kelly left, did she go to Minneapolis? Yeah, at that uh, point? Tom brought me to LTE in Minneapolis, and okay. then a few months later we. Uh, uh, swiped Kelly. Gotcha. Poor Kipper. We left the man. <laughs> we left the man dejected. It's like, oh, he lost his. Let's see. We lost our afternoon guy. We lost our midday girl. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, but he had great people to just step in. So. And what? Um, Present company included, of when, course. Well, thank you. When Kelly uh, moved on, then uh, I think it was Kipper McGee, put us in a one-week audition. So I did a week of middays, mm-hmm. and then Jim did a week of middays. Right. And then they chose who was going to do that. And that was really anxious for both of us because Jim and I had done a lot of things together with remotes and all kinds oh, of yeah, events. Yeah, and now yeah. all of a sudden we're against each other. But he needed slots to fill. Sure. And uh, Riley filled your slot in the afternoon, didn't he? Wasn't mm-hmm. that it? Because didn't he come from uh, doing the morning board op show? Uh, he was board oping for Bill, I believe. And he was also doing some part-time stuff in DeKalb at DEK. Oh, my. I think. I don't remember that. Yeah, I think that's that's what it was because he was doing part time weekends for us on our OK, wow. and he was doing a Sunday night shift on Z OK on occasion. And I think his air name was Bobby King. Bobby King. Bobby King. Riley's air name. Yeah. Oh. Did us because they didn't want him using Riley to you know right. mess up the his his being on our OK. Yeah, that's what they did with me too. You no, know, they, they didn't did do that OK. with me. I actually used Bill Shannon on both. Did you? Yeah. Now why would you on Z OK? Filling in. Oh, just a weekend uh, shift of some uh, sort? Well, once in a while, not 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 a regular shift. Okay. Jeff Davis asked me to fill in one uh, Saturday morning, midday, and uh, so I filled in. I was on after John Arthur, which was uh, quite a trip watching oh, him work. Yeah. One of the audio files that you gave me. Yeah. Tell yeah. everybody about that one. Uh, chili and beer, we'll see you here next year. The Chili Shootout song, John Arthur singing to Ghost Riders in the Sky. It is 
hilarious. It is hilarious. And Liz, look at the look at her face. It's She's brilliant. never heard it. Well, she'll hear it. Wait till you hear this. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> Chili brewing. Mighty good chili. Getting powerful hungry for some real chili. The chili chefs came riding in from all around the town. They had their secret recipes that they'd all written down. They wanted to be winners, they knew they were the best. And so they came to Rockford to put her to the test. Chili galore, give me some more. It's the in a cooking as the sun began to rise they chopped and stirred and tasted so they could win the prize with chili sauce and peppers the strongest they could find if they didn't win the shootout they'd blow the judge's mind chili yeah hot stuff Chili. At last the chefs were ready and the crowd came rushing through. With so many folks it tasted, would just two gallons do? And when the dust had settled, then everyone agreed it was the hottest shootout that anybody had seen. Chili. And, of course, both radio stations played it yeah. forever to promote the event. Sure. Yeah. And I just grabbed the uh, card out of the rack one day and decided, you know, I want a copy of that. And I'm glad I did because uh, several years later, here it is, safe and sound, as it were. Okay. And now he's got it digital and he burns <laughs> the yep. CDs. Yeah, and we, put it, on, we, we put it on CDs so you can play it nowadays. Yeah. Because, frankly, we don't have uh, cart machines. No. It's kind of sad because I've got a lot of carts that I'd like to hear what's on them, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. I bet you that some station somewhere has a cart deck that they're not using. Uh, at least get that stuff archived. Well, it used to be WLUV, yeah. but then she sort of tossed everything, and oh. uh, we didn't have a chance to be able to use it and play our carts. That's too bad. It is too bad. It uh, it was nine dumpsters worth of stuff. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It's, it 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 it's a lot of history pain, lost. Yeah. Painful yeah. to watch. Yeah, well, I had about 40 carts from various places. Oh, my. And when I was in Columbus uh, several years ago, the engineer let me borrow a stereo deck. Oh. And so I patched it directly into my computer, wow. dumped from the carts right into the uh, computer, and uh, digitized it. 
very nice. And these were these were cards that I had gotten from. Uh, you, you know, you know the name John Driscoll. Well, I know the name, but I don't worked know worked at Super CFL in the seventies. Well, he was my PD in Milwaukee. He gave me all of his old WMYQ stuff from the early seventies <laughs> on card. He says, "Here, you want these? Sure, I'll take them." <laughs> So I dubbed off the old MYQ stuff, promos and jingles, all kinds of stuff. I've told this story before, and I can't remember with who, but when I was transferring cassettes and reel-to-reels into digital, there was a cassette that didn't have any label to it. And I've got not, boxes like that. Well, it's, well, it's not like the label was there and it fell off. You just I never labeled no, it. No, yeah. I don't think so. On one side was Casey Kasem custom liners for WROK. Oh, wow. Okay. And on the flip side was custom liners for WROK from Wolfman Jack. Wow. Yeah. Unlabeled. I couldn't believe it. I worked with Wolfman a couple times. Not not as radio, but uh, promotions with him. Did you really? When I was programming 13Z, ZUU's AM in Milwaukee, which was oldies, uh, we had our first annual and turned out to be our last annual salute to 50s and 60s rock and roll. And Wolfman Jack was uh, the MC for the show, and he brought in Little Anthony and Del Shannon before he Whoa. unfortunately took his life. Uh, Little Anthony, Chubby Checker. So I interviewed Chubby Checker on the air the day of the show, which was a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Then myself and our afternoon guy, Tom Carr, were backstage with Wolfman in between all the acts. We spent time with him. I also did a show with him in Des Moines when I worked at uh, KIOA. So this was just something that you just hired in, or did he travel with? He traveled with the show. We he promoted did. the show for them. We had him on the air the night before doing a shift. Oh, my. And he <laughs> was, it, it, it was amazing just watching him work. Really? Oh, doing phone calls with listeners. And he comes in. He sits down. He goes, hey, baby, all right, where's the mic? Okay, over there. Where's the mic? Okay, fine. And if, Okay, fine, let's go. And he just, bam, just jumps right in. We had him on the air for an hour. It was marvelous. True professional. Magical. Was he running his own board? He was running his own board. Was he spinning records? No, or no. Was it, cart? it was all cart. It was. But the phone calls with the listeners, the interaction, just amazing. Rapid fire machine gun, just I bet. bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Holy cow. Yep. What was another event at WROK? We were talking about the Chili Shootout. What was oh, another yeah. event can you um, remember that you were going to that was oh, just gosh. a barnstorm? There were bunches of them. Rock River Rap Race, of course. Oh, sure. Uh, of course, we had that little bit of reverb on the air, <laughs> right? I did my Elmer Fudd on the air. Fwee wubba waft wides at the walk with a waft waist. <laughs> <In the reverb. laughs> and I did that just before Rick McLaughlin came on to do the news one afternoon. And he, he reacted just like you did. He lost it. Oh, God. Rick was so Oh, funny. Rick was wonderful. Yeah. Rick was wonderful. Yeah. Well, my first and only one was uh, John Arthur and seeing it. Oh, yeah. He was out there on the boat. With his megaphone, just you know, shouting out the orders. It, it was it was great. It was a great promotion, and tons of people were there. And just watching some of these people attempting to navigate down the river yeah. in basically uh, cardboard was was a hoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was fun. And it's amazing how much time and energy their teams would put in. Oh months, gosh, yes, months ahead of time to build these. Oh things. yeah, they were li- they were crazy little inventors. Yes, and for years, I don't know, Jan Thorpe would be able to tell us how long the raft race went. Isn't today Jan's birthday? I don't Did know. I see something on Facebook saying today's her birthday? I don't know. We need to. We need to. Oh, look at look at Liz we, googling. She, well, she's, look at her. She's hitting the Google machine already. She is. She's 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 a she's a googling. She I, is. I have to be careful around Liz because she is a fact checker. Are it, you serious? Am I right? She's right. All right. Happy birthday, Jan. Happy birthday, Jan. She's the den mother of all of us. Mm-hmm. I agree. She was our safe harbor when we did bad. 
She was our biggest cheerleader when we did good, and she was wonderful to work with. I can remember her sewing something. I can't remember what she it was She did everything. For. I honestly think she was sewing aprons, but I could be wrong, yeah. for the or, Taste of Rockford. Remember when we did that down at the Metro Center? Oh, yeah. We set up that stage. Jerry Heckler, Kipper McGee, all of us were setting up on uh-huh. this. We had chef hats. I don't know. She might have made those, too. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. But I can remember her sewing something for the radio yeah. station staff. No, she did everything. Crazy. Uh, yeah, we, she was the fabric that held us together. Yeah, you know? no pun intended. No, no, I, no, yeah, no, no, no knitting puns intended. Let's see what else. I, uh, I got some notes here. Did a lot of remotes for the Saturday Night Cruise, which yes. was a blast. Yes. Uh, I guess we'll just start when I took it over because when I got there, Charlie Stroud, Charlie D, had been doing it. Yeah. So he was there. He was doing production and doing the Saturday Night Cruise. And when I got there, did my first shift back in I'm going to say late March. There were maybe four old ROK jingles that they were running. Four. Count them. Oh. And I said, no, this is a Heritage Top 40 radio station. Yes. We are going to hit the archives, and we are going to crank up some jingles. I asked Tom if I could uh, you know, hit the cabinet for all the old jam packages and TM packages and Pam's packages, all the jingle company packages, and I added maybe 30 jingles to the mix. Oh, good for you. And it you. just brought it right to life. Good for you. Uh, Marv Beasley. Yes. Chief engineer. Engineer. Jack Lambiot. Yeah. They helped you with it? Well, they come into play. Marv knew that I knew about equipment. Okay. In the back in the rack room, there was an Orban 111B. It was a blue reverb unit. That's the reverb unit that was on the station. There was a reverb unit? Yeah, because when you spoke into your mic, obviously it went through the unit and then back over the air. Did not know that. On dead air, you could hear the reverb. But for the Saturday Night Cruise, I wanted more of it. And so I convinced Marv, after talking to him for a while, to allow me to turn it up on Saturdays, back and down when I was done. Oh, my. And so on Saturday nights, and you'll hear it on the air check that I gave you, you'll hear the reverb. It sounded just like, well, not, not as you know, strong as LS or even WABC's reverb back then, because right. they used those old plate reverbs. This was an electronic reverb. Yeah. Technically, ROK and ZOK both were the two of the best-sounding radio stations I've ever heard in my life. They were so well-processed. That's good to hear. Yeah. But anyway, Marv allowed me uh, the privilege of cranking the reverb <laughs> up for the Saturday Night Oldie Show. And, uh, boy, we were, we were definitely cruising. But uh, back to the remotes. Uh, gosh, all over the place. If it was going on in town, we were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sometimes we were the event. We made the oh, event. Yeah. Just by being there, giving out bumper stickers for crying out loud. How stupid. I remember one time, uh, not cruise related, but just one Sunday afternoon grabbing stuff from the prize cabinet and going down and walking the the, the path at Cinnissippi and handing stuff out to people, introducing myself, and people were loving it, you know? When I was here, ROK was the number two station in the market. ZOK was number one. These two radio stations were were leaders in the market forever. Yeah, powerhouses. And yeah. we had a litany of people coming through the radio station, either uh, politicians or big powerhouse celebrities yep. or something. Sure. Because we were the ones to go to. Absolutely. If you were in town, you're the one that... We had the most to. listenership. If you wanted to get in front of uh, a bunch of people, wanted to get in front of their ears, these were the places to be. Speaking of which, uh, I'm going to go back again. You know, Buddy Scott, I worked with him. In, in Milwaukee at uh, ZUU. I, I mentioned that I had become the acting PD after he booked for Chicago. Mm-hmm. Well, when the opportunity came up in Rockford, I called Buddy because Buddy had worked down at GBF with Charlie Quinn for Vern Nolte, which was wow. the other top 40 station. Holy moly. So Buddy worked in Evansville. Charlie Quinn worked down there. 
John St. John, who ended up doing evenings at ZOK, yes. worked there. He did overnights. All together? Yeah. So I, I, I asked Buddy, I said, well, what was, what was it like working for the company? He says, just go. Just go. You'll love it. It's okay, you know, because you want to find out what the company's like and, you know, from people that had worked there. And he just said, just go. And I did. And, and when people are that short and quick about it with no discussion, you know oh, yeah. that you need to do it. I think a, a former WROK guy also worked for Buddy Scott at B96 in Chicago. Do you remember a guy by the name of Don Geronimo? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Don Geronimo just recently moved from Sacramento years and he's years. He's back in D.C. He is. He's back in Washington, yeah, Shotgun D.C. and I were talking about that, of course. I, and I have a tape somewhere of Shotgun and Geronimo, and i got to find it. Do you really? Uh, yeah. yeah, and it came from Shotgun. It's an air check of uh, ROK about 77. It would be 77. Geronimo, I think, needs to come into work or something, and Shotgun calls him on the air, and Geronimo's with his girlfriend, and she's not too <laughs> pleased, and it's a good thing. I got I to gotta find that. I think Shotgun Mark Rivers is going to get on a meeting call or a Zoom call from Phoenix all the way to Washington, D.C., and whether it's set up or whether it's a surprise thing, I don't know, but he's going to oh, do an audio thing do a, yeah, with yeah. the memories of, of WROK. You guys should do it and then have Geronimo and shot, have, have Shotgun on it and then bring Geronimo in or vice versa. Yeah. Those were some great days. I don't know if you remember beyond – when you were there, do you remember names like Scott Wallace and Dave Hamilton and Dan Campbell and those guys from 77? Do you remember um, that lineup? That, that was the, yeah, I, I know the names. Obviously, yeah. they, they preceded me. Yeah, um, they, they won radio International Radio Station of the Year that year. Oh, yeah. That's the lineup that that was all and about. And before that, uh, I remember a, a, there was a, a thing that was sent out to radio stations back in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. It was called Programmer's Digest, and they would uh, send it out to all the jocks, and you could subscribe to it. It was basically a, a way of listening to air checks of stations from around the dial, you know, that kind of thing. It was oh. on vinyl. And there was, wow. a, there was a composite of ROK from about 73, 74 that had, uh, I think, John Larson on it and a bunch of other people. I think Dan must have been on there, too. Wow. Uh, and it was a service that you subscribed to? Yeah, yeah. It cost you maybe five, six bucks uh, an issue, and they would press it on – they would press it on – on vinyl and uh, send it out. And I remember that do because you? Uh, when I was working my part-time job, my very first deal in radio at KGRC, Chuck, our guy, his name is Chuck, our morning guy, he would play some of those and listen to the jocks from around the United States. Oh yeah, they'd have uh, back in All those days, time, you know, Don Imus mm. and mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, I think OKY was featured in a composite at one time. They do station composites and. You know, it was a good way to get your station exposed to the rest of the industry, and I think a lot of people got hired away from places or improved their careers because they were on those. But, uh, yeah, there was a composite, I I believe, of uh, ROK from about 73 or so. Maybe it was later. When you were doing the afternoon show, uh, did you do interviews? Oh, gosh, yes. And did you have some memorables either Uh, that were crash and burns or uh, the best ever? (laughs) Actually, they all went pretty well. Uh, A lot of my interviews were over the phone. Um, Uh, outside of the operations manager's office, Kippers, Tom's, mm-hmm. Charlie's, yeah. there was this big, tall file cabinet. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it had three or four drawers, and inside those drawers was all the show prep you'd ever need, aside from getting the local paper. And I used to grab everything I could get out of there and read it and cut it, and you know, I had a, I had a show prep service as well. I would, you know, basically I was my own producer, so I would set up all these interviews for the afternoon show because I didn't want it to be just music and me. You know, I wanted I wanted something that was palatable to the listeners and something that was always evolving and changing and interesting. Yeah. And so I, you know, I do a lot of show prep. I, I think I prepped an hour off the air for every hour I was on the air. I don't 
Doubt uh, that at all. Because uh, that's you know, the way we worked. It was back to- then. total personality radio. You yeah. know, this wasn't liner card uh, hell. This was, this was uh, <laughs> liner card hell. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This this was. Uh, you get on the air, you have something to say. Yeah. You know, later when I when I programmed, I used to hang a sign in the studio for the jocks, and it went as follows: If you have nothing to say, go ahead. If you have nothing to say, go ahead. In other words, if you have nothing that's content worthy or topical or relatable to your listeners, keep segueing. Oh, move ahead. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Because don't just give us bubblegum. Make the break count. Yes. Three second intro. How about those bucks last night? Boom. That's all it takes. Yeah. That is. That's personality. What that did is. I just tell you? Yeah. The Bucks won. And that you're a fan and that you're in on yeah. things. Yeah. WROK, how about the Bucks? Boom. Done. That's taking what you have and making it count for something. Do you remember a particular person that you interviewed that was just sticking in your head? Uh, there are a couple that come to mind. Um, there was a guy that was a comic. He was from here. Kipadata. Maybe oh, you know sure. the name. Yeah. Yeah. You remember the song Wet Dream? Uh, I played it. Oh, my God. That's such I a great had, parody. I, I had him on the air, <laughs> and I, we played Wet Dream, and then he came on, and he gave me the backstory on how that song came to be, and it involves Jose Feliciano. Oh, my. Who was a friend of his. Oh my! I think he opened. Uh, if I remember right, he opened for Jose one of his shows. But before the show backstage, they were just throwing all these, you know, one-liners back and forth. Well, if you do a good job tonight, I'll give you a fin. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you're acting like a shark tooth tonight, you know. You know. And he absorbed it. And he wrote it down. And, and between the two of them and all their back and forths and having fun with it, he came up with Wet Dream. That is a great story. The wet dream of the Gulf Stream, yes, as it were. It was April the 41st, being a quadruple leap year. I was driving in downtown Atlanta. My Barracuda was in the shop, so I was in a rented Stingray, and it was overheating. So I pulled into a shell station. They said I'd blown a seal. I said, fix the damn thing and leave my private life out of it, okay, pal? While they were doing that, I walked over to a place called the Oyster Bar, a real dive. But I knew the owner. He used to play for the Dolphins. I said, hi, Gil. You have to yell, he's hard of hearing. keeping his head below water. I bellied up to the sandbar. He poured with the usual. Rusty snail, hold a grunion, shaken, not stirred. With a peanut butter and jellyfish sandwich on the side. Heavy on the mako. I slipped him a fin. On porpoise. I was feeling good. I even dropped a sand dollar in the box for Jerry's squid. For the halibut. Well, the place was crowded. We were packed in like sardines. They were all there to listen to the big band sounds of Tommy Dorsal. What soul? Tommy was rocking the place with a very popular tuna. Famine chanted evening. And the stage was surrounded by screaming groupers. Probably there to see the bass player. One of them was this cute little yellowtail. And she's giving me the eye. So I figured this is my chance for a little fun. You know. Piece of Pisces. 
But she said things I just couldn't fathom. She was too deep. Seemed to be under a lot of pressure. Boy, could she drink. She drank like a... She drank a lot. I said, what's your sign? She said, aquarium. I said, great, let's get tanked. for a little midnight bake. I said, come on, baby, only take a few minnows. She threw me that same old line. Not tonight. I got a haddock. And she wasn't kidding either, because in came the biggest, meanest-looking haddock I'd ever seen come down the pike. He was covered with muscle. He came over to me and said, listen, shrimp, don't you come trolling around here. What a crab. This guy was steamed. I could see the anchor in his eyes. I turned to him, I said, Abalone, you're just being shellfish. Well, I knew there was going to be trouble, and so did Gil, because he was already on the phone to the cod. The haddock hits me with a sucker punch. I catch him with a left hook. He eels over. It was a fluke, but there he was, lying on the deck, flat as a mackerel. Helpless. I said, forget the cods, Gil. This guy's going to need a sturgeon. Well, the yellowtail was impressed with the way I landed her boyfriend. She came over to me. She said, hey, big boy, you're really a game fish. What's your name? I said, Marlin. Case of the clams. So I interviewed him, which was just delightful. Uh, I had a great time with him, and he was just a hoot. <laughs> he was hilarious. On the more serious side, in 1984, you may remember this, Illinois was considering making seatbelt wearing mandatory. Sure. And I had contacted uh, an Illinois state trooper, and he came into the studio. Okay. Uh, little did I realize when he came into the studio, he brought in some very graphic pictures of what you see following accidents. Certainly convinced me that seatbelts save lives, you know. You know, the time that the seatbelt thing happened was when I was in Charleston, West Virginia. And every so often, because the, the mountains are just beautiful, I would just go driving. And I saw that this guardrail had had a, a break in it. Sure. And you knew it wasn't, you know, eight months ago. You knew it was recent. Mm -hmm. And I pulled over, and here's this maybe 35-year-old lady at the bottom of this ravine in a 
Chevy, it was something that was made in Belvedere. I remember that. It was made here just right down the street. I can't remember exactly what it was. Very, very small car. And she wasn't dead, but boy, was she banged up because there was no seatbelts. And there was no cell phones at the time. There's no nothing. I don't know my way around. I'm a brand new guy. But boy, did that convince me because yeah. she was bumped around in that car like a BB in a boxcar. I'd forget the trooper's name, um, but I remember him telling me some of the stories. And we, we, he told the stories on the air, too. He, we didn't get graphic, you know, but the, the pictures obviously sold it for me. But enough to be convincing. But enough to be convincing, yeah. yeah. yeah here's why. You know, I saw a guy go through a windshield. Uh, I, uh, this happened. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I saw a guy just bang his head, and later he died from head trauma because he didn't have the seatbelt on. He banged the steering wheel. The seatbelt would have held him, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, very convincing. Isn't it weird how things stick with you? Yeah, Seatbelt yeah. interviews. Well, that one uh, was, uh, boy, what's the word, poignant. That one just hit me. And deep, obviously. Yeah, very much so. Wow. Very much so. Um, who was your favorite news guy? Oh, all of them. I know that's hard, isn't it? <laughs> well, I worked with all of them at one time or another. Um, most regularly, it was Rick. Was it really? Yeah, he, him and Ken DeCoster were the, mainly, mainly the afternoon guys. But John Strannan would be there on occasion. Yeah. Uh, once in a while, even Fred, when he wasn't out chasing ambulances. Bob Pressman came in a couple times. I had uh, you know, a little bit of everybody at one time or another, but I'd say the mainstays were, uh, were uh, Rick and, uh, and Ken. Wow. Yeah. And uh, you never worked with Keith Larson, did you? No. And you're not related, are you? Uh, the only Larsons that were related in the bunch were John and Joe, because you had Mark Larson, and then you had Keith and John and Joe and me. The only reason that I've got Larson is because that's the other side of the family. That's it. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember listening to Mark Larson when I left Auburn High School, and I go, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Somehow I want to do that. Well, then I got in, and I go, wait a minute. There's already Larson's here. Crap, that's going to screw everything up because of the John <laughs> and the Joe thing. And recently, when Liz and I were on WLUV, our social media person, Katrina Kirby, came up to us probably at the second meeting, and she just said, you know my uncles. I said, I do? Wow, because she didn't have a radio past. And she says, my uncles are John and Joe Larson, and wow. here's what they're doing at the time. The world and just shrunk. It, it did. It, re <laughs> it really shrunk. Wow, yeah, that's so, cool. Yeah. But, you know, like we were talking about earlier, all the people that have come through ROK and ZOK, you know, one of the things that Buddy told me about going there he says, oh, you got to do it. It's a stepping stone to great places. Look where I am. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah. I mean, talk about the people that have moved on from ROK and ZOK and done tremendous things with their careers. But the weird thing about ROK and ZOK, and we've talked about this before off air, you could spend just a little bit of time compared to the other time that you spent at other cities, and for some reason, this gel at ROK and ZOK, let's say, for instance, a person was only there a year. They still have these connections with all these people. Well, like, how many people do you have connections with at the radio station you worked with when you were five years there? And they go, nobody. There's something. I still have some, but you're right. The, the majority of my connections came through this area. Yeah, it's something weird that that gelled together. And, of course, I honestly, I think it came from the top. I well, really you do. Know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, Vern Nolte set the standards for how the stations were going to operate. Mm -hmm. What was the WROK van that you remember? Oh, was it a black van with yellow letters on it, or was oh, it a blue be, van? I think yeah. it was a black van. That was the Rockford Radio one. Yeah. 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 I remember we took that out to Magic Waters. Uh, Kelly, myself, Rick, 
those are the only three people I remember that were there. But I know I think Jack was there to to do the uh, do the audio. He had to set up the Marty mm-hmm. and uh, aim the antenna. But remember, we had that little portable Marty unit. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We almost lost it that day because we took it to the top of the flume before we took off. <gasps> oh. Yeah, we're sitting there holding it. <laughs> it's like the size of a lunchbox, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Kelly and I were ready to go down the flume, and Carter's standing behind us. And I said, uh, here, Rick, <laughs> don't let it go down the flume. <laughs> yeah, but that was the grand opening for Magic Waters in 1984. No kidding. Yep. I think WZOK did a lot of wet Wednesdays. So they were pretty Yeah, I think regulars. that was kind of a regular promotion for them. Yeah, yeah we yeah. weren't so regular out there. We just did it whenever we wanted to or whenever we had a stack of yeah, prizes. I mean, that was, that was the big thing, though. That was the grand opening of the water park. Yeah, and wasn't it a cool thing yeah. that you could always go in that back room where a lot of the albums were, the thickest studio doors I have ever been you exposed to. You know what? To. I always thought that I felt like I was, I was on a ship. Yes. Because of those big wooden doors with the, cir- with, yeah. with the round circle like, windows. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, we're, okay, we're off on the maiden voyage. In fact, you know, those were my first words. I can tell you the first song I played and the first words. Okay. I played Against All Odds from Phil Collins, which was a current at the time. Oh, my. This would be March of 84. And, uh, you know, 1440 WROK, Bill Shannon on the Maiden Voyage. Here's Phil Collins. Boom. That was my first break. Nice. Yeah. I remember going into that back room, and they would just give us, I mean, later I became the promotions director, so it was sort of me that was doing the inventory on stuff. Sure, yeah. But everybody gave, like Johnny Marks and I, when we did the Saturday Night Cruise in 81 and 82, they said, just go take anything you want and grab the keys to the van and and just go somewhere. Yeah, hand out stuff. Go. Have fun. Yeah. Well, you know, and that and that's Vern's doing because you aren't going to promote yourself with a van that's parked in your parking lot. (laughs) Think about it. Or an empty van. (laughs) Yeah. Even if you just get out and drive around, people are going to see you. You got you got you got a billboard on wheels. Yeah. Go drive. You know what was so cool too? Whenever we would just get a hair up our butt to go somewhere, and it could be the parking lot. And don't you hate when that happens? I know it makes sitting down very difficult. Oh, I tell you, that just. But we would go to the parking lot of Don Carter Lanes, Mm -hmm. not very far, and you would announce that you were there, and it really didn't matter what you were giving away. It really didn't matter. And you think about this: you've got all these people that love you. That are just flooding. Yeah, they're fans. Why would you? It was great. It was it was instant ego food. Sure. And you throw a sticker on their window or their bumper, and you hand them an album or a thing, Rack's Roast Beef certificate they, or something, and everybody's happy. They remember you. I know. Yeah. Well, God. we had those days were great because we connected with our listeners. Mm-hmm. On Halloween, we had a big uh, Halloween costume contest at the Clock Tower Inn. They had a, a bar there called the Cork. Yes. And we had that place yes. packed. That was so much fun. I did the cruise. Live from there, in between songs, I was emceeing the, the, the contest, and, and of course, over the air. It was a blast. It was so wow. much fun. Did you get dressed up? No, no. I wanted, I wanted to. I was scary enough without the costume. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Face for radio. Hello. <laughs> uh, Blue suede shoes. Do you oh, remember that yes. place? Up on oh, 251 yes. in uh, McChesney Park. Yeah. We did a whole series of them there. The barber chair. Riley O'Neill sat in that barber chair. Not for long, though, did he? Not for long. They launched him with a shot. They sure did. Yeah. I yeah. remember going up there for Three Dog Night. I don't know why that concert sticks in my head. They were performing for a long time. Yes. I did a couple shows with them. Yeah. They were great. It was it was so fantastic. Corey Wells and Chucky Negron, great guys. See, I don't know band members' names. I really don't. I wish I did, but if you said name somebody from Ario Speedwagon... I wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. I don't know why. You know I'm how they got their name, don't you? Are you a speedwagon? No. 
It was one of 118 cars available near the turn of the century. It was the REO Speedwagon. It was a car brand. It was like a truck and it a... It was a kind of a, a truck-car combo, you know? Like, like a truck and a station wagon combo? Kind of, well, open, yeah, open back and everything, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was called an REO Speedwagon. Of course, Rick Nielsen here in Rockford, cheap trick. Yeah, and you know, every so often, seriously, you could go over to Gray's IGA in any given morning at about 8.15 and see Rick Nielsen buying groceries. Yeah, he's a he's a nice guy, and he's he's so pro-Rockford. He loves his place. Yeah. Of course, isn't he a part owner of the uh, Stockholm? He is. Yeah, he yeah. He is. The Lingonberry Group. Oh, I love, I, you know, Swedish pancakes with lingonberries. Yeah, and he yeah. also has, uh, he's up to his shoulders in the Hard Rock Cafe casino that's coming, mm-hmm. too, because he's going to have a lot of his memorabilia. You're talking about the stuff that we have here. He is a pack rat like nobody's business. American Pickers came here and went to his storage facility, and he had stuff from Live at the Budokan. He had big, you know, the big carts, the big equipment carts. They did a big display at Burpee Museum as a fundraiser. It was called Rick's Picks. And it was unbelievably fantastic, the stuff that he had saved for decades. The other famous member of of Cheap Trick? Robin Zander? Robin. Mm Mm-hmm. Went to Harlem High School. Did he really? Yep. My uh, my wife uh, was uh, two classes behind him, but uh, she remembers him from high school back in the 70s. Yeah. Robin Zander uh, bagged my mother-in-law's groceries at Jewel. It was all that Sandy could do to convince her, no, this is these are the people. They're very, very popular now. Look, they've got a live, they've got an album, and she j- did not compute. Yeah, Live at Budokan is the one that put them over, over yeah. the top. Yeah. You know, I Want You to Want Me, which was huge. Yeah, but for her, that was still the guy that put bread oh, at the sure. bottom of the bag. Sure, because <laughs> a lot of famous people did basic things Oh, sure. Before they, you know, hit it big. Absolutely. Yeah. What are you doing now, Bill? Um, sitting here talking to you. Well, you know what I mean oh my gosh. professionally. You want the whole litany of what I'm doing now, where, where I've been since I left ROKZ, okay? Oh well, you've God. got my curiosity with what you're doing now, because I don't quite understand, because radio's not the same as it was No, back no, then. it's certainly not what it used to be. In my case, it's a little bit like it used to be. I work with Tom Kent, the Tom Kent Radio Network. Tom used to work at WLS, he worked in Dallas, he worked in Chicago, he worked in Philly, he was all over the place, and he was a, a, a top 40 jock. Worked at WAVA with Geronimo at one time. Was this the Cookin' Kent? Truckin' Tom Cookin' Kent. Same guy. Yeah, same guy. All right, yeah. all right. Yeah. Tom started a network, what, 2002? And I joined him in 2008, helped him relaunch his network, and I've been working with him ever since. I am the Senior Vice President of Operations for the Tom Kent Radio Network. We're on about 400 stations all in with all of our shows. I do a morning show, uh, and I'm on about 25, almost 30 stations. And I have a studio in my third bedroom. My system talks to his system, and then it gets uplinked on the satellite, and stations have receivers. They pick it up and run it that way. That's crazy. And then you've got other personalities, afternoons and evenings, that do the same thing you're doing? Yeah, yeah. And other day parts. And it's a live show. Actually, it's it's his family members. It's not live, no. No, we track it. Okay. But it sounds live, because I'm doing time checks and everything. Wow. If you've got 400 affiliates, you've got all kinds of time zones and... What, what makes that work is you can time shift your receivers now. You don't have to run it live. Uh, I'm on from 6 to 9, Monday through Friday, right? Okay. 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 Did I hear something? You yeah. did hear something. Here comes Chuck Doyle. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> oh, no. Look at that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Put everything there on There goes hold. the neighborhood. <laughs> Where's the fire? Come on in. 
So anyway, um, you can time shift your receivers now. And so if you record the show from 6 to 9 Eastern when it plays, mm -hmm. and it needs to play in the central time zone, you'll start it an hour later. If you need to play it in the western time zone, you'll start it two hours later or three hours later. So you can time shift the entire show. And do you do specialty programs, too, that play on the weekends and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, we do a, a 70s show, an 80s show, a 90s show, a 2000s show. We do a countdown hour. That's fantastic. I, How I, can people find you? What's the easiest way for Joe Blow in Knoxville, Tennessee, to be able to tune in to Bill Shannon. Well, listen, Joe Blow in Knoxville, Tennessee, here's how you find us. Uh, you can just go online. You can actually we stream, tomkenradio.com. Oh. And there's a little button at the top of the homepage that says 24-7 fun. That's the network, 24-7 fun, because we like to have fun. Yes. Radio should be fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or as I say, we put the F-U in fun. Um, <laughs> no, I don't say that on the air, at least. Uh, but you could. Yeah, but you can click on that button, and we're actually streaming. So they don't need to necessarily tune into one of your affiliates. No, but, but there are several affiliates around the country, none of which is in Rockford, I might add. I'll be doggone. We've got one, I think, south of here. You, you can't pick it up here. I think we're, I think Tom's nighttime show, his party show, is on in Madison at their oldie station. So certain affiliates will only take certain pieces of Right, yeah, of because well, they, oh. they, they fit their programming needs. If, oh. you, if you want a Saturday night party show, you take the ultimate party. Nice. If you want to run a 70s show on the weekend, you grab the 70s show or an 80s show or a 90s show. That's pretty slick. Yeah, so, so we, we give them a lot of options. So here it is, 2022. How long have you been doing this for crying out loud? <laughs> See, <laughs> Mr. Marconi and I first met. I've been doing this since 76. Have you really? Yeah. What, what got the bug? What got you going on it? Um, music to begin with. Oh, okay. Grew up listening to OKY and RIT in Milwaukee, LSCFL. Mm -hmm. I, I was like you were in those days. We couldn't get enough. No. We were tuning in every radio station. We could get an earshot. And, you know, first it was the music that I loved and collected. And then uh, I wanted to get on the radio and play some of that music. And That's I, as and, simple and, as it And gets. it kind of went from there, you know? Good for you. Yep. Well, yeah. Bill, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, I got more. Oh, you do? Plenty. All right, go ahead. But the one thing I liked about working at ROK, doing afternoons, mm -hmm. the salespeople did not bug you in the studio. I loved that. Yeah. Because in other places, they were in constantly. Of course, I was program director, and they had, you can, you know, can you redo this spot? Can you do that? And it's like, I'm on the air. I'm on a stage. I'm performing. Get out. You know, but they never did that at ROK, unless it was absolutely necessary. And that's the way it should be, because you are a performer. You are on stage. They wouldn't think about going into the newsroom and disturbing those people. Of course not. No, but they should treat it the exact same way, because there's some kind of train of thought going on in your head before the mic goes on that they don't see, that they still need to respect it, yeah. that it's there. I remember, speaking of Chuck, I remember walking into his studio one time when he was doing ZOK and I was on ROK, and he was getting ready to do a break. What was he doing? He was rehearsing the break. Pacing his intro so that he could hit the post and get his content in yeah. without stepping all over himself. He was right. rehearsing before he cracked the mic. I do have to compliment you on this because I, I heard your demo for the morning show for the Tom Kent Radio Network. Oh, he cheated. And holy cow, can you hit posts. You know, and I've never used a hot clock in my life. Just to back time to news, you, you hear it, you feel it, you walk it up. Liz and I felt the same thing when we went back to WLUV. Chuck did it all the time. I know, because that's... It's in our DNA. Made it look easy. That's the reason we did it. That's the reason it's we almost, went back. It's almost like you can, I mean, now when I'm doing commercials and things like that, 
almost like you can feel when 30 seconds is up. You can feel when 15 seconds. Oh, yeah. You just yeah. feel it. For example, when I'm cutting liners for our affiliates now, mm-hmm. we have a 15-second liner that we cut that they can lay in over an intro during playback of our shows, right? Oh, nice. We, we put a tone into the log, and it fires the 15-second intro. Well, when I'm cutting the liners, I don't use a stopwatch or nothing. I hear it, I feel it, and more often than not, it's right on time. 10 seconds is 10 seconds. You know, and the other part of it is, and we talked about this earlier, content is king. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear jocks today that are just going through the motions. Well, that's the liner. That help. was, this is, here we are. Well, whoopty <laughs> frickin' do to you. That's boring. That is absolutely boring. You know, tell me something about your life. Tell me something about your listener's life. Yes. What's going on? Look out the frickin' window and tell me something. You know, it's, it's, radio is shooting itself in the foot, and I hate to see it. Bill's a tough PD, isn't he? Look no. out the window and tell me something. No, I'm not Actually, tough. Actually, he sounds like a number of PDs that I had, I and I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. My job is to make your job easier. Yeah. My job is to coach you and guide you along. There's not enough coaching going on. I agree. I believe you know, that. doesn't mean pull somebody into your office and rip them a new one. No. Point out what they're doing right. Help them with what they're not doing right. And I think a lot of that happened even worse in the pandemic when technology allowed you to be able to do things from home and the salespeople were able to do things from home, and you went from having 50 people in a radio station and the beehive we were talking about to three people. There is not that interaction, so you don't get the energy from the other people, and then you don't get the, uh, hey, why don't you try this? Hey, why? Because there's nobody around to tell you There's nobody there to give you the suggestion. Sure, sure. Well, you know, and and talking about ROK and ZOK in general, uh, the one word that comes to mind is camaraderie. Big time. You walked in that building and you felt like you were part of a family, even even though you just got there. That's how I felt. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that camaraderie that you're talking about had a lot to do with the spouses of the folks that were either on the sales force or um, on the air. And a lot of the on the air people just were not married. You know, they had girlfriends or boyfriends. For instance, Mary McDuff. Did you ever meet Mary? Probably. She took us under her wing. And you're sort of lost. You're not really sure what you're doing, this, that, and the other. And you're at this Christmas party. And she knew that we were all uncomfortable. So she would sort of gather the cats and help us out. And Mary was just the very good example. There were others that did that too. But I think that was unique to the ROKZOK family. Well, I mentioned earlier, now that he's here, I can even uh, go deeper on it. The first person I met (laughs) was this guy, Chuck Doyle. What year was that? Do you Uh, remember? 1856. Okay. Well... It was 1984, Chuck. Was it 84? Yeah. He's the one that helped me find a place to live. I was thinking that, too. Was it Great Oaks? Yes. Yes, it was Great Oaks. On uh, Linden Road. Right, because they were like eight fifty a month or something. Yeah, but they weren't bad. They were newer. They had a pool. Yeah, a little bit of a drive coming from, you know, the other side of, of 20. Mm-hmm. A receptionist. Uh, Tia was her name? Yes, Tia. Tia Botsford? Yeah. Right. She married John Mary Steins. John Steins. Later to be Tia Botsford again, I believe. Oh, oh. didn't oh. know that. Oh. Well, Did, you know you're not supposed to date anybody within the walls. Did not know that. Yeah. Well, that well, didn't happen there. That I, wouldn't, I, go. I wouldn't mention that to Kipper or Barb. No, or Bill and Marianne Axe yeah. or Tim and Sandy. Well, you know, sometimes <laughs> it works, but as a general rule, it's not the best idea because if you break up with somebody oh. and you have to go to work with them the next day, oh, yeah. oh boy, sparks. Oh, yeah. Was that Kipper in charge then? No, Tom Gray was uh, still. Oh, Tom, you came to, So Tom Gray hired you? Yeah, yeah, it's his fault. Okay. Well, uh, Tom Gray, bless his heart, EWTN or something. Yeah, he's down in Birmingham doing uh, VOs for EWTN and doing very well for himself. Yeah. 
that's kind of what I heard. I am forever indebted to him because he took me to Minneapolis, too. He's the guy that gave you the most feedback with talent. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. You mean like uh, air check sessions or immediate feedback? Um, I don't remember so many air check sessions, but I remember calling him in and him showing me how to freshen up contents, how to, to do a lot of things. Yeah. And he had it all with him. Well, he had this, I don't know if you remember this, and he, he had brought it with him in Minneapolis. He had this big three-ring binder. Guess what? I got I got it. You have it? I think I still have thoughts, it. With all the thought starters? Yes. Yeah. Wow. You know, he would say, like, okay, take this ad off the magazine, you know, Coke, the real thing, okay, and just take their tagline. Yeah, the real thing. And take the real thing and say, hey, coming up, you know, we got some songs coming up, and yes, they're the real thing. And, and how to f- keep it fresh enough instead of just saying, coming up, coming up. It was show prep that he learned. Yeah, so positive things was stuff that he was really developing us pretty well. And out of all the people I worked for, he was one of the better ones. And so when I got there, Jeff Davis had just started his PD. Yeah, and when you guys first said Jeff Davis, I thought Jeff Davis from WLS, and then I realized it's a G-off. No, that's, yes. that's, the, that's the Jeff Davis on the West Coast doing voiceovers now that I yeah. also know. Yeah. I did a thing with him on a uh, mobile DJ fundraiser thing. Mm-hmm. Way back in the day. He even signed an autograph thing. I still have that. Do you really? Yeah. Was he a WLS at the time? He was a WLS, yes. He worked at LS for almost, let's see, he started there in 74, left in the late 80s, almost 17 years. So how is it that you guys were comboed at this event, this DJ event? I worked for a DJ company. It was a big fundraiser in the Burbs or something. So you weren't representing ROK and ZOK? No, I wasn't. Oh, gotcha. That's what I was wondering. So it was a private venture. Yeah, I, I think I was only about 16 years old, 17 years old at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, well, you know. back to this guy who was kind enough to basically take me under his wing and show me around. We used to go to Hollywood. Hollywood and at, and at, and at Mary's mm-hmm. and Stash O'Neill's. Because we would get off late at night. Yeah. And, you know. Uh, now was, it, was, was, it, was that the Euro place? Yes. Nicks. No, no, Uncle Nick's was the Euro place. Okay, I remember the Euro place, because that was downtown. It was on kind of yes. like this little triangle <laughs> Absolutely. in the middle of the street. Still and it, is. And it, really? Yeah. yeah. And Did yeah. Chuck ever pick up the tab? Ever? No. 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 Because no. Okay. No. he still doesn't. We, I'm just we, no, we went Dutch. Not a problem. In fact, I think I bought for him once or twice, <laughs> yeah. but I didn't care. I didn't care. Chuck was my buddy. He was I'm my just, friend. I'm just messing with Chuck that. was my friend. I bought him a Pop-Tart once at WLUV. Yeah, and, and to this day, he gripes about that. I, he does. Yeah. I know it. No, Chuck, uh, Chuck pretty much took me under his wing, showed me the ropes. What shift were you working at? Uh, initially 10 to midnight, and then uh, moved to afternoons. When uh, Doug moved to mornings to work with Bill, and Doug had kind of a short shift. He started at 7.30, and then I think he was doing sales beyond that. He was that. doing a combination. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was Doug and Bill, and then Kelly, and then me in afternoons. Maybe when I was there three, four months, like July-ish. I started in March. So, But I, I do remember one particular afternoon. Uh, there was a little bit of a crossover. So Doug and I got to do a show together. <laughs> it was, it was great. Do you still have wounds from that? Uh no. It no? was it was it was pleasant acupuncture. <laughs> wow. Doug, I'm going to share that with Doug. Oh, Doug! <laughs> Doug was just wonderful. He was he was just cutting up and having a good time. And at that time, Vanessa the Undressa, Vanessa Williams had that Playboy thing. Oh yeah. And that was big in the news at the time. Yeah. Miss America. Miss America. Yeah. And yeah. And Doug was on the air calling her Vanessa the Andressa and just having a ball with it, you know, <laughs> and, and just cracking jokes off the air. It, I, I had more fun with Doug. 
He is a rapid fire machine gun. He is. We get together with lunch with um, just keep him. feeding him. Just keep feeding the monster and then duck because the, the bullets are coming out. That's man. all you have to do. And he feeds off of Fred Spear a lot. Oh, they were great together. And all they have to do is say water bottle and off they go. Yep. It's like a Robin Williams yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, the chemistry is is amazing with yeah, those two. They're just off and roll. Yeah, and uh, Fred Spear. Uh, Riley and I used to walk around the building doing impressions of Fred. <laughs> I'm Fred Spear. We are okay. He couldn't say the W. Couldn't do it. And then there was uh, Lee Carrick. Now, what do you think? Huh? 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 How about that? How about that? Huh? Huh? Chainsaw Massacre. Huh? Oh, yeah. Late at a couple, couple of stories, and you've, you've lived these. Late at night, when nobody's around, the salespeople have long gone home and have been tucked into bed. Shuck is in Z, okay? I'm an R, okay. Doing production. Lee's on the air. He oh, gets man. off the air at 10 o'clock. Intercom, Star 70 or whatever the hell it was. Doing chainsaw massacre through the PA system in the station. No, where is Lee? Oh I don't know. I, I lost track of him maybe 15 years ago. As far as I, I know, I know he's he from Baltimore. In, he was in St. Louis, I think. That was before he got to Rockford, though. He was a KSD in St. Louis. Yeah, I think he went back to St. Louis and was doing some kind of a deal there. Yeah, you know, you know how he got fired in Milwaukee, don't you? Do you know no. that story? No. He was doing a talk show at WISN, and he was using his his real name, Doug Carrick. Yeah, on the air, he told an old lady to go suck a tailpipe. That's all it took? That's, well, you know, nice, sweet little old lady talking about whatever, and he got snarky with her, and <laughs> why don't you just go suck a tailpipe? And <laughs> management did not take kindly to it. That's he, when that's he, when he landed here, I guess. He was the most blunt person. It doesn't matter whether he was cooking up something in the microwave or he was on the air. He was the most blunt person I have ever worked very with direct, in my life. Very direct. Oh, yeah. But in, intelligent talk. Oh, and, and oh he was intelligent well, on the issues and could talk the issues. Yeah, he was well-read. He was what you call a high I, high IQ. Didn't he jump over and do stuff in the newsroom every so often, too? Uh, not no, when I was there. I don't no, remember that. I don't, no. I don't remember no. that. That's probably a good thing that none of yeah. us remember yeah. that. Speaking <laughs> of newsroom, another, another, another Rick McLaughlin. I had him cracking oh, up on the air. I love Rick Oh, he McLaughlin. was great. He was great. We had so much fun together. And he was a really good news guy. You know, during the newscast, of course, he played real straight. Uh, so one afternoon, I decided I'm going to get him. You know, okay, here's, here's your lead. You know, he'd give you a little tease that you could lead into the newscast with uh, all the news. Ken would do that. All of them would do that. Say, okay, we're talking about the economy. Okay, I'll come up with a lead for you before I introduce you. All right, WROK Rockford. Oh, wait a minute, uh, Rick. We, we, we have one more thing we need to do here. Uh, i got to play one more song. He goes, well, we don't have time for another song. I said, oh, yes, we do. I had a recording of a song by Shel Silverstein. Oh, I remember that It's name. called the 26-second song. Okay. And the song goes as follows, and it is exactly 26 seconds. All the DJs keep complaining the songs run way too long. So I sat down and wrote myself a 26-second song. Broom. Rick, you're on. <laughs> and that was it. Lost it. <laughs> laughed, for, laughed for a minute and a half. Was he a stand-up comedian? Is that where I know that name from? Uh, he wrote children's books, and he was a songwriter. Wrote some country hits. Uh, children's book in the early 70s called uh, Sarah, Sylvia, Cynthia Stout, Wouldn't Take the Garbage Out. It was a kid's book. My goodness. Yeah, he wrote that. But anyway, uh, played the 26-second song and handed it off to Rick, and he, he couldn't do it. He lost it. <laughs> Had to go to a commercial, let him you know, compose himself and try again. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. Rick, Rick was a guy that would be there till midnight in mm -hmm. the newsroom. Yeah, I know. Working on some kind of a story. He did specialty packages a lot. He did that, yes. Yeah. He just loved and digging deep and investigating. That's why he became a lawyer. 
because that was just sort of in his DNA. But it started out with all these documentaries and stuff that he would do. Well, he was a hustler. He'd get out on the street and interview people and get you know dig up for dig dig up the stories. Yeah, he was he was great. But he could have been a you know big time investigative reporter at a station in New York or Chicago or someplace. He was yeah. that good. Yeah. And we lost him way too soon. He was what in his late forties. Yeah, he didn't make fifty. Oh man. Yeah. That great bunch of people. Yeah. Man. Oh, and, and John Arthur. I mean. I remember one time we had a little uh, bonfire in the back of the garage, and they took a bunch of albums out of the garage, <laughs> put it in a big pile, and John came and doused some gasoline on it and lit it up, and he was dancing around going, do you know, John was a character. But well, we it's lo- not you never at all. knew with John <laughs> Arthur what was next. No. Whether it's lighting albums on fire. It was, he was crazy. This Jeff Davis and him lived in Love's Park, and he lived, they had a driveway between the two apartments, mm-hmm. and they lived... Doors, doors. You could look out each other's doors at each other. Well, Arthur would call in sick and go fishing, and Jeff just look out. Oh, well, okay. That's, that's how it goes. Yeah, as I say, they were within bazooka range of each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what? Uh, we all loved Arthur. Oh, Arthur was great. Of course, uh, he took Riley to NCI, NCI in Columbus, and, yeah. but Riley came back. Yeah. And then John went from Columbus. I ended up working there, too, not too long ago. And you know Riley just celebrated his 20th year as the morning guy on WROK? Yeah, yeah for his fifth time. Yeah. <laughs> is this, is this yeah. I mean, he's, been, he, he's come and gone from that station several times, but good for him. Yeah. Good for Riley. Yeah, you know what? He stayed in the business, and he made it work, whatever. Well, he made a name for himself here, yeah. so good for him. I mean, he sounds good. Yeah. He's got good energy, sounds good on the air, sounds, you know, knows what he's talking about, and uh, I've listened a couple times, and he sounds really good. How did we meet your wife? How did we meet your wife? Yeah. We? Wow. You act as if you married her too. No, no, but I was there That's or what something. I, was I can't remember, but I was there okay. or something. Okay, I'll give, I'll give you the whole backstory. All right. Let's, come on. Let's. How did we meet your wife? Actually, I was on the air one afternoon. Steve Summers was on ZOK. Mm-hmm. I think he was filling in or... Uh, no, he, he took over after Tom Rivers left. Remember Big Tom? Yes. <laughs> Tom, hey, wait a minute. I hear him on the air and I walk in. He ain't there. I mean, he's no, not no, there. Well, no, I, I, I got into, I was walking around the building, and Tom was just stepping off ZOK. He was doing afternoons on ZOK. He had left BBM to come to work in Rockford. And he wasn't there long. He was there maybe a month. You would go in there, and the real to real was playing. <laughs> He'd be on the air, but he wasn't there. Okay. Yeah, he, he and, and they just let him do. He that, basically you know, because he, he was a big name. I think it was shut out by a contract or something. Well, yeah, for whatever reason, he got let go at BBM. Yeah. He, he came to Rockford, and then from there he went, I think, to Cincinnati or something. I don't yeah. remember. He the was exact. a major talent. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you, you should have heard him in Milwaukee. He was great. Yeah. And we had another guy later on, Charlie O'Neill. He uh, came from WMAQ. Yeah, came from Chicago. WMAQ, and he was there for a short time. Billy Sunday, he worked at ROK, right? Because he worked at he used the name Billy Sunday up at ZAU back in the mid seventies. Oh, that that's uh, is that Joe Joe Colburn? Yeah, yeah, yeah big voice. Yeah, he's still in town. He lives in Freeport. No kidding. What was I? What was I going to say? I lost my thought of train. Your wife? How do? We, oh, my wife. wife. Yes, I remember her. I've, we just celebrated our thirty seventh anniversary, by the way. Good for you. Congratulations. 30, she's been able to put up with me for thirty seven years. <laughs> the woman is a saint. Love her to death. Uh, I met Deb when I was on the air one afternoon, and Steve Summers was on the air on ZOK. Deb had been listening to ZOK and had won an album. So in between songs, Steve was kind of showing her around the radio station. Walked in the studio, and I went, whoa, 
she finishes her tour. Steve goes back in the studio. Six o'clock rolls around. He's stepping off. I'm stepping off. I just about tackled him in the hallway and said, hey, I don't know much about her, but I would sure like to get to know her if I could somehow. You know, I said, at the very least, can you at least talk to her and see if she'd be willing to, you know, have a phone conversation with me and see what happens? And he said, okay, yeah. So he did. We ended up talking on the phone for three hours and ended up going out. And one of the first dates was on his boat. On Chuck's boat? See, I knew I played a part in there somewhere. Because <laughs> You were the transportation. No, we, I, I don't remember it, but go on. No, Chuck had a boat, and uh, <laughs> he said, hey, you, you, you want to you know, go for a boat ride on the Rock River? Bring your, bring your lady friend. I said, sure. And so she came. She was cool with it. I have no, no recollection. <laughs> and uh, I believe at one time she also interviewed for the copywriter position or traffic position at the station. Because I remember Rick Carter. Who was that pretty girl in the back there? Yeah. I said, well, that's now my fiance. How did you make this work with a radio career? Because if we went through everyone on the list, not too many uh, can do that. Well, I think it, it, it began with an understanding that this is what the job is going to be like at times. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we did. We definitely moved around. And she was willing to, hey, I'm all in. Yeah. yeah. Because I mean, most, most I mean she, fought, people... she fought and kicked and screamed a couple times along the way. <laughs> But, you know, keep in mind, she, she had two young kids when I met her. And, uh, you know, we had to take, the, take their lives into consideration. Right. You know, trying not to upset that apple cart as best we can. She had just recently been divorced. This transient life that radio leads. Roaming, not, roaming nomads. Was not conducive to marriages. No, I've seen it, it a million it's, times it's with wrecked, these guys. It's wrecked, a, it's wrecked many a uh, relationship, yeah. And that was sad because I'd see him come with a wife and then all of a sudden, of course, they'd be working so hard at the radio station. Wife has nothing to do. Next thing you know. Uh, I'm, I'm very blessed. Uh, wow. She's great. She's uh, quite the lady. Good I'm, for I'm you. very lucky. Yeah. Well, Chuck Doyle and Bill Shannon, thank you so much for coming into the Storyteller Studio. Lots lots of memories. I learned so much today because you're just a whole nother wing of radio that I just was not exposed to. Yes, a plethora of poop. Yes, mm. and thank you for your contributions. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks, I, you guys. I sure do appreciate this, it. This was, this was a blast, and uh, man, we can do it again sometime. You know, you could, do, you could probably do this three or four times per person because there's so many stories. You're never going to get it all. No, you're never going to get it all. No, but it's, hats off to you and Liz for the idea. And, uh, you know, archiving and saving this, uh, this stuff. Because, let's face it, uh, ROK and ZOK, for me, changed my life. Yeah. I think we all four can say I mean, that. How, how many of us can say we, we because I, you worked in Rockford, you ended up with a wife? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was the big domino that fell over for a lot yeah. of us. Yeah. It's here like we are 30, 40 years later. We were here, we cracked the mic, and the magic happened. You, you know, know, it was uh, a blast. Mr. Nolte knew that. Absolutely. So and did John. John did, too. And they knew that this is where the up-and-comers, if you ever noticed their hires back in the days, they were all up-and-coming. He never stood in the way of anybody leaving for a better job. Mr. Nolte understood that. He was waiting for him to come in the door. Yeah. You know, after the next book, he was just waiting. What a great training ground for those of us that were you know, wanting to further our careers. Absolutely. And they, I can't remember if Dave Salisbury, one of them, said, this is your education, kid. I think it you was know. Dave, yeah. We learned so much, and we, and we learned a lot from each other, and we had fun along the way. Oh, yeah. And, and it was great. Lifelong friendships. And Absolutely. You know, what I, uh, you know what? Another thing to admire you, Bill, is 
you're still in the business, this ever-changing business with technology, and radio's changing 100%. Oh, yeah. The loyalty of the listener is not there. Well, they have so many other choices. So many other choices. You know, they say choice kills. That can go for cereal. That can go, go for, for a any, lot of things. Go for anything. There's you just so many, so, many, so many categories of so many things, you know. MTV really killed. That really killed because they broke music that we didn't break. We couldn't break music. And people were like, oh, man, I I seen that on MTV. Well, I'm sorry, I don't have that song. Didn't make the charts yet. You were able to stay with this broadcast thing where many of us have bailed out. Not that we didn't want to, and we still have it in our blood. Oh, boy, do you ever. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, um, the opportunities just didn't present itself. It, it, no. I mean, you, you go through radio stations now, and there are a couple of stations down in Charleston, South Carolina, where I was working for many years. And you go there now, you walk through the building, it's tumbleweeds. There's yeah, nobody there. It's, it's, that's Rockford, Illinois. There's too. three people doing everything. If we'd go on the air today in one of these stations, we'd be hard-pressed to get a phone call anymore. Well, you don't give them any reason to call you. No. That, well, that's, true. that's and, true. And and when you do call, you get a busy signal because somebody busied out the request line, or nobody's there to answer it. You know, believe it or not, I called WGN in Chicago not too awful long ago. The current show's producer answered the phone. I said, I'm sorry, I must have the wrong number. I thought I was going to get the front office, the reception. I wanted to leave a message. Yeah. And he goes, no, I'm it. We don't have anybody in the front. Go ahead and leave a message with me. So I did. And I thought that was just very peculiar in the third largest market in the United States. Well, a lot that's of, where they're going. A lot of stations in Chicago don't even have an overnight person anymore. Yeah. It's all chatter-tracked or syndicated. Chatter-tracked. <laughs> Remember that term? <laughs> no, what? I don't. That's what's it's funny. Voice track, basically, is what it means. Wow. Yeah. I think the key to winning radio and getting it back is to get local. If you don't get local and you just run the syndicated shows and stuff, you're not going to get that loyalty back. You need to touch the flesh is what you need to do. Press yeah. it. Yeah, you need to press it. You need to – talent needs to work 300%. And get their face out there and their audience, wherever their audience is and places that they're at. Giveaways need to go every hour. We got to, it becomes boring and dull. Yeah. Well, here's the other part of the syndication that I'm doing. I am also available to the markets. We had a station that uh, I basically closed on in Charleston when I was there. Mm -hmm. And they ran our network. And I was the morning guy. But I was also available for remotes and getting out and meeting people. So when I was done doing my show, I'd get out on the street in Charleston and say, hey. Because I'd worked at an oldie station there, programmed an oldie station there years before, very successfully, and people knew who I was. So I was available for remotes and, and appearances and stuff, and, and that was a nice combination. But that's where you can take a satellite or syndication and make it work locally, yeah, make which is what you're locally. talking about. Right, and you got to do that. You know, I and dropped off something down to the Sa- Sandy Hollow radio stations maybe about two, three months ago. XRX, that's right, yeah, B103. Yeah. That's where Steve is. Uh, that is where Steve is yeah. with the bowl. And I pulled in there, and it was maybe 2 in the afternoon, something like that. And there were three people in the building, but there were four very, very nice radio station vehicles in the parking lot. And I thought that was so weird that they should not be in the parking lot at 2 in the afternoon on a Friday. They should be out. Yeah, more vans than employees. Yeah. Gee, what's wrong with that and, picture? And, and the vans aren't moving. And I thought that was peculiar, and it just sort of hit me a little weird. And they're gorgeous vans. I mean, the graphics are wonderful. Get out. Go park it somewhere. Like you say, a mobile billboard. Sure, just go park it somewhere yeah, for an but, hour. But the other thing is, 
you know, what's, what's the appeal? Come out and see our beautiful, shiny van. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no personality there to meet. No. And there's no food give to give away. And give there's, no, there's no incentive for anybody to hop in their car and come to you. Yeah, I know. You know, we're shooting ourselves in the foot, as yeah. I talked about earlier. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chuck. I, hey, you know, I appreciate the kind words. I, I'm blessed. I'm lucky to be doing what I'm still doing. But I wouldn't do it if I weren't allowed to be a personality. That's what it comes down to for me. Where is radio going, Bill? And that's our last question. Wow. What do you foresee radio? Now, we, what we knew. Oh, Swami. What we knew in the <laughs> 70s and 80s, the loyalty is gone. Like you said, there's so many other places people go for music, but they miss the talk. There's AM talk stations, and, and, and yeah, those wanna, are doing you, well. Well, yeah, because they're warm voices that they're, sound like they're communicating to you. But yeah. a lot of that is political now, too. That's a sad day. I, hate, I hate that. But I think the uh, desire for talk is still there because look how robust uh, podcasts are. They doubled from like 1.2 million to 2 million in a year. Yeah, well, there, there's, crazy. There, there's plenty of them out there, but the problem is monetizing them. How yeah. do you make money with them? Yeah. I well, mean, if you're doing, if you, a lot of people are doing it as a hobby. You are doing it as far more than a hobby. I mean, you're. Act, I, I saw a picture of you guys out at the Belvedere Oasis, <laughs> and you're out there asking people, "Well, how's you know travel?" And uh, that's great. Yeah. You are sticking your mic in the face of people that are enjoying their lives and doing stuff, and you're finding out what's making them tick. And that's radio. That is good. And that is a podcast that is worthwhile. And that's but just, what we're using. But just to get on a microphone and pontificate about nothing for a half hour, it, there's tons of people that are doing that. And you know, it's, for some people, it's it's just a hobby, and that's fine. For you guys, it's communicating with an actual audience. Yeah, that's why we decided in the very beginning. We've done the studio thing just for our own fun. We wanted to be out and doing things and going places. It's been the best decision we made for this podcast. Yeah. Because yeah. we get to be out and doing things. And that's that's mentally healthy for everybody involved. Absolutely. But, you know, in the podcast world, for a guy like me, is um, I know about your podcast, but I don't know about the hundreds of other ones. So where does broadcast radio go? What do you see in the future? Because you've got your hands in it right now, and you're doing a, a unique style, and you're able to do it from miles away in your own home. Uh, like I said, I've been blessed. Uh, you know, Working with Tom has been, uh, has been really great. He relies on me for being on the air and doing production and all kinds of stuff. But as far as radio itself, Radio can go where we need it to go if we're willing to do it. We all know what we need to do. Chuck just laid it out. Local, interaction with the audience, give me a reason to listen, stage events. Not iHeartRadio's big concert in Los Angeles. That doesn't mean squat to somebody sitting in Love's Park. There's a local aspect to that, but most importantly, I think, if we're willing to take the money it's going to take to get talent back and become... In other words, fill up the ROKZOK building again, if you want to use them as an example. Mm -hmm. Put people in there. Get them working again. Get them out on the street. Get them talking to people. Get them giving away things. Become part of the community, and the community will respond. Now, that's only going to happen if management and owners of radio stations are willing to pop for the cost of doing it. And right now, they're hanging on to their money. You know, it's like anything else. If, if, if you're not willing to invest in people, in product, in the community, you're not going to get any traction. We need a reinvestment in the industry we love that a lot of people still like, but they have other options, and we need to make ours the option that they want the most. Guys, thank you so much. 
It has been fantastic having you guys back in. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. We will see you again next at the Storyteller Studio. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Storyteller Studio in celebration of WROK Radio's 100th year in broadcasting.